Tonight on Huckabee, 48th Vice President Mike Pence, South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Sarah Carson and her talented super colleagues, Christmas Harmonies with country pop band Rockland Road. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. You know who had a birthday this week? Trey Corley did. Yes, he did. He sure did. Some of you wonder how come the banks and post office were closed on Thursday of this week. Well, it was because it was his birthday and everything closed down. Wow. Schools let out. Everything happened like that. Well, hey, if you haven't already finished shopping for Christmas, I have a great last-minute gift idea. The just-released book called Basses and Guitars, written by Willie G. Mosley, who is a veteran writer and editor of Vintage Guitar Magazine. And it's all about the guitars in my personal collection and the stories behind them. It's pretty cool. And even if you're not a guitar owner or player, I think you will enjoy the stories of these musical instruments and how many of them actually shape my life. The folks in our studio audience tonight they're all going to receive one of these as a Christmas gift for being here tonight. Yep. You see, that is a cheap and shameless way to get the audience to really applaud. <laughs> Tell them you're giving them something for free. But they are getting it. Yes, every one of them. But you can order one for yourself or gifts for family and friends at MikeHuckabee.com. The book is filled with full-color photos, and it tells the stories behind the instruments. There are quite a few stories about Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and how this show has factored into my musical life. And if you order before Christmas, shipping is included. You can get it now at MikeHuckabee.com. I think you're going to want it. And you know what? Sir, you in the red vest, if you will step up here, I'll give you this copy right here, and you'll be ahead of everybody else. You get the very first one. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, to be honest with you, it's a lot more fun at Christmas to talk about music than politics. But there is a whole lot happening in our crazy world right now. The Republicans are going to take over the leadership of the House of Representatives just after the first of the year. Yeah. Hey, let's hope they go forward with a bang and not a whimper. Because we need to hold people accountable for the corruption of selling influence to China for the Biden family. And to be clear, what must be investigated is not Hunter Biden's salacious and drug-addicted failures. It's that his dad was part of Hunter's business deals with the Communist Chinese Party. And that he repeatedly lied when he said he knew nothing about any of Hunter's sleazy business dealings. Even the New York Times and the Washington Post now acknowledge the authenticity of Hunter Biden's laptop, which is filled with incriminating evidence of influence peddling and corruption. The pathetic excuse for journalists in this country 
may not want to look into these things, but Congress has to. And yes, they do. And we must demand that the FBI and the DOJ are purged from partisan and political weaponization against conservatives and Christians. There's got to be a reckoning with election problems in states that take weeks to count votes. And the new Congress needs to find out why our government lied to us about lockdowns during COVID. And we've got to determine if the COVID outbreak and the disruption of our lives was triggered by U.S. taxpayer-funded research at the Wuhan China Laboratory. We need to know that. We do. And we need to know why big tech social media giants have been able to lie, cover up the truth to protect people in power, and then use their power to crush the views and even the livelihoods of those who held conservative, pro-life, or Christian worldviews. And we need to establish that parents absolutely have a right to know what their children are being taught in school. And it's not enough that Dr. Fauci is retiring. No, he's got to appear before Congress and explain why we were not told the truth about masks, quarantines, vaccines, and treatments. We just need to know. So please spare me the nonsense about how we don't want the Republicans to launch investigations because they just need to focus on the economy, energy prices, and food costs. Let's get this straight. There are 435 members of the House. They are certainly capable of conducting more than one item of business at a time. And while I realize that even if legislation passes in the House, the Democrat-controlled Senate is likely to vote it down, and President Biden is likely to veto it if it did somehow get through the Senate. But here's what I say. Pass the legislation and let the senators and the president be forced to take a stand on simple proposals to protect human life, protect families, and our basic American freedoms. The admonition... The admonition to the incoming Republican House is really simple. Go big or go home. And if you don't, I hope voters will send you all home. Mike Pence served as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives for more than a decade. He was the 50th governor of Indiana, and from 2017 to 2021, he was the 48th vice president of the United States. He's got a brand new book. It's a big one. It's the story of public service, family, and his strong Christian faith. And it's already a New York Times bestseller. Would you please welcome back to the show, author of So Help Me God, 48th vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Mr. Vice President, it is an honor to have you back here on the set. Oh, it's great to be back on Huckabee. Good to see you. I am very impressed with uh, how amazingly well your book 
is not just selling, but resonating with people. I've got friends who have read it all and they're passing out copies of it, which I think is pretty amazing. Well, I'm, I'm very humbled by it. And uh, it was a great honor for me to be able to write my life story. And I, for some reason, I think it may just be resonating because um, you know, I'm, I'm just a small town guy from Southern Indiana. My grandfather immigrated to this country from Ireland. My dad was a combat veteran. My mom was a precocious, redhead, first-generation American. They raised us to believe in this country, to believe in the American dream. Uh, and uh, I came to faith in Christ as a, as a freshman in college. I met and married the girl of my dreams in my 20s. And then I began a journey that would take us many years uh, to reach the Congress of the United States, but then the privilege of serving in the Congress, serving as governor, uh, in a role that you've served and then as vice president of the United States. But I hope, I hope the reason the book uh, is resonating is because it's a story about a family. Uh, it's a story about, uh, about living a dream. And ultimately, it's a story about God's grace uh, in our life every step of the way. I think that's what makes it a powerful book. You are not in any way reticent to talk about the power of faith in your life, what God has done. Scripture is throughout this book. It's very evident uh, that when you talk about prayer, it is not something that you just do at Christmas and Easter, but it's a daily part of your life. Well, uh, it was in the spring of 1978, sitting on a hillside at a Christian music festival that it was like I heard those words for the first time that God mm. so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever might believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And I stood up on a rainy night and I walked down and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and it's made all the difference in my life ever since. And it's been evident that that is really the underlying message throughout the book, which is the underlying message of your life. Four years you were vice president. You and President Trump had a really terrific relationship but we let's did. be clear, in the very last days, hmm. and you, you're very open and honest about this, I guess the easiest way to say it, things kind of went off the rails. Can you describe the, the challenges that you faced after the 2020 elections hmm. and the fact that the president wanted you specifically to essentially individually overthrow the 2020 elections and say they're not valid and you didn't do it? To be honest with you, I said to everybody around me, he can't do it. Mm. He doesn't have the power. And you recognize that that was not a constitutional authority that you as a vice president had, but it left some tough moments, mm. didn't it? Well, let me, let me be very clear. I love where you started with that question, which is uh, um, President Trump and I developed a close working relationship yeah. in those four and a half years. Some people think we're a little bit different. Uh, really? <laughs> well, I never saw anything like that. So Gee. That, <laughs> so that ends up surprising people. But we, we actually, uh, President Trump was not just my president. He was my friend. Yeah. And from the first time I joined the national ticket, I, I really felt a great a bond with him and the opportunities that he gave me, not just to join the ticket and run and win, but to serve alongside him and work literally every day, keeping the promises that, that we made to the American people was an incredible privilege. I mean, we, we made the largest investment in our national defense since the days of Ronald Reagan. We rebuilt the military yeah. under the Trump-Pence administration. Yes, you did. We revived the economy. 
We cut taxes, rolled back regulation. We unleashed American energy and became energy independent for the first time in 75 years. That is a big deal. And the president, it was my great honor, the president actually asked me, as I recount in the book, to interview, um, along with others, uh, some of the Supreme Court nominees. He ultimately made the decisions, of course, but to have been involved in, in the decision uh, that ultimately resulted in three Supreme Court justices mm. that earlier this year gave America a new beginning of the right to life is one of the greatest honors in my absolutely a wonderful legacy. But, yeah. So I'm, I'm incredibly proud. I think if people read the book, I hope, I hope it's a, they can be reminded of the extraordinary things that we accomplished in a short period of time and, and how we saw our nation through the worst pandemic in 100 years. But as you, as you say, it, after all of that, it did not end well. And I think what made those days even more difficult was because of the relationship the president mm -hmm. and I had developed uh, in, in the waning days of the uh, administration after a disappointing election. I, I shared the concern of millions of Americans about voting irregularities yeah. that took place. It's why I supported uh, the lawsuits that had been filed, um, but uh, the evidence of widespread fraud that would change any outcome would never come. But somewhere along the way, um, the president began to hear from an outside group of lawyers that, that ultimately convinced him that I had the authority to either reject or return electoral votes. But the truth of the matter is that uh, uh, my role on January 6th was as presiding officer over a moment where the Congress would simply open and count electoral votes that had been submitted by the states. Remember when you were a governor, you yep. certified Arkansas's electoral votes. I did it when I was governor of Indiana. And the role of the Congress is simply to open and count. There's a process for raising objections, and I was determined to see that through. But... Um, I had no authority to reject or return votes that were submitted by the states. In fact, uh, you know, I, as a student of the American Revolution and someone that loves the Constitution, I uh, thought there was almost no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could decide who would be elected the American president. The American presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And in that moment, I'd made it clear to the president in the run-up to that fateful day that uh, I'd taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution, that uh, an oath that I promised that I made to the American people, but also it ended with a prayer, so help me God. And mm -hmm. I was absolutely determined to keep the oath I made to the American people and keep the oath I made to Almighty God. And uh, I'll always believe in my heart of hearts that that we did our duty that day. Like the Bible says, we, we kept our oath even when it hurts. Uh, and we saw to the peaceful transfer of power under the Constitution of the United States. And I think you told that with a great deal, not only of candor, but with kindness. And I, I think when people read the book, they'll get a, a, a very clear picture of the compassion that Mike Pence had for Donald Trump continues to, but also the deep-seated view that there were constitutional restrictions and parameters that you couldn't go beyond. We're going to have more with uh, Vice President Pence right after the break. Please do not go away. A lot more to talk about from his great book, So Help Me God. We'll be back. So Help Me God. We will. <laughs>
GovMikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with the 48th Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. Uh, Mr. Vice President, we were just talking about the very delicate matter of, of January the 6th. But there were so many things that the president put you in charge of that are a long-lasting legacy, one of which was the Space Force and re-energizing America's space program. Now, as a kid who grew up during this, I can't think of a more exciting job that the president could have thrown in your lap than that. Yeah. Was that like the coolest thing ever? Well, we, we grew up about the same time and the same enthusiasm. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, when it was during the campaign in 2016 uh, that uh, then the man I called, Donald, called me up and he said, hey, you know, when we win this thing, uh, I'm thinking of restarting the National Space Council, yeah. which had been dormant for uh, more than a decade. Uh, and the American space program had actually been in so many ways sidelined. We were actually, we spent 10 years hitching a ride with the Russians to go up to the International Space Station after we grounded the space shuttle. But he said, I was just wondering if you wanted, as other vice presidents have done, <laughs> to chair the National Space Council. Now, what he didn't know uh, was that Karen and I had actually taken our kids when they were little to vacation at Cape Canaveral just to see the rockets. Yeah. What he, what he didn't know is some of the greatest memories of my youth were sitting in front of that black and white television and watching, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, what he didn't know is the only committee I ever asked to be on in Congress was the NASA subcommittee. And then I'd been to three shuttle launches. Yeah. And so when he asked me that, I said, would I? Yeah, you were like Isaiah. Here am I, send are you, me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> And I got to tell you, it's one of my one of the proudest accomplishments. There were so many things that we accomplished in our administration for the economy, for our military, the creation of the Space Force, the uh, appointment of conservatives on the courts of this country, as we just mentioned. But I, I want to tell you, restarting American leadership in space and that day that we saw American astronauts return to space on an American rocket from American soil was one of the proudest days of my public career. As it should have been, without doubt. Can I tell you about that, though? Yeah. So anyway, you can look this up online. There's a picture in the book, in fact, when you get around to reading it. Um, this great shot. You see this American rocket going up, and it's, it's shooting into space, carrying astronauts, and all the press is behind us, and there's a picture of the president. He's standing, looking dignified up at the rocket. I'm standing, looking dignified up at the rocket. My wife, Karen, is going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of your family, a lot of people are not aware of the fact one of your children, your son, Marine Corps, flies uh, for the Marine Corps. Your son-in-law is a pilot uh, in the military. You're very connected when it terms uh, of patriotic duty, responsibility. I don't think a lot of Americans know that during your time as vice president, you had family that were serving overseas in combat Positions. Well, I, I couldn't be uh, I couldn't be more proud of uh, our family. My my son Michael's a captain in the United States Marine Corps, uh, flies a Joint Strike Fighter. My 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 son-in-law is a uh, lieutenant uh, in the United States Navy, flies the F-18s, and just graduated from Top Gun. Whoa, um, that's pretty impressive. 
And my other son-in-law was the first civilian employee at the Space Force. And uh, I, I have to tell you that uh, 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 Karen gets all the credit uh, for our kids and for their incredible accomplishments. My daughter writes uh, for the Daily Wire. We just, we're so blessed. Somebody asked me the other day what I thought my legacy would be. And I, I, I told them, uh, Michael, Charlotte, and Audrey. Hmm. Um, which is a wonderful way to say that sometimes people think that if you're in politics, that all that matters, but it really isn't. It's still family, God, the things that you know will last forever. There's a question that I'm not going to ask it this way because people ask it, and it's because they've never considered running for office. And people will say, are you going to run for president? The reason I won't ask that is because it's a stupid question to ask you. So here's how I will ask. Where are you in the process of considering whether you would run for president in 2024? Uh, I'm humbled to be asked that. And uh, Karen and I are going to continue to give prayerful consideration to where we might next serve. I, I mean, the privilege of having served in the Congress, been a governor, uh, served as vice president during four consequential years, and then seeing how far this administration has taken America mm. down. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, uh, the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, uh, has, has weakened America's place in the world. Uh, uh, the runaway spending that's launched the worst inflation in 40 years, a war on energy that's uh, driven up gasoline and energy prices. And of course, the, the steady assault on, on our liberties that seems to come every day, rejecting values of the people of this country. And uh, uh, we're going to continue to reflect and pray. We're going to listen very intently, uh, not just to family and friends, but to people around the country. And But but for us, Mike, it always comes down to where we're called. I, mm. I was told a long time ago that there's two kinds of people in politics, people that are driven and people that are called. And as I'm honest in the book, early in my life, I, you know, I mean, I've been both. Mm -hmm. But the last 20 years, it's always been about where do we feel called in our hearts? And yeah. uh, uh, I, I promise we'll go where we're called. And I'll keep you posted. Thank you very much. We love having you. We're so grateful to have the 48th vice president with us. And here is a special treat for our studio audience. And it's a good reason to get tickets to the show. Every single person in our studio audience tonight will go home with a copy of Vice President Mike Pence's book, So Help Me God. So Help Me God is in all the bookstores, wherever books are sold. And you can get your copy also through Huckabee.tv. We have links so that you can keep up with the 48th vice president in real time on social media. Now, I want to hear what we have coming up next. So help me, Keith. Help. Well, who let the dogs out? We did. Sarah Carson and the Super Collies are next on Huckabee. from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. They're just the best band in America. They are. 
Our next guest has appeared on many TV shows, including David Letterman and America's Got Talent. She is one of the top trick dog trainers in all of the world. And she also partners with the Service Dog Agency to train dogs for disabled veterans. Here with a very special Christmas performance, would you please give a very big welcome to Sarah Carson and the Super Collies.
Sarah Carson. Absolutely amazing. Sarah, that was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Oh, you got your hands full, don't I mean, you? Chicken all you know, I just but... wish somehow that you could train Keith and Trey as effectively as you have these dogs. I would be impressed. Good girl. What a beautiful dog. Both of these dogs just fantastic. Thank you. You have an app which I am going to download because it's about training puppies called yes. Upper. It is, yes. Tell us about it. What will we learn when we get that? Oh, you can train your dog everything from leash manners, crate training, place work, and walking handstands, backflips, frisbee. Yeah, it's available on iOS and Android. Well, if that doesn't work, I'm going to call you, and you're going to be in residence at my house with my two puppies for about six months. Sounds and we'll good. see what <laughs> we can do. Also, the wonderful book, Super Dog Tricks, that Sarah has done to see more of Sarah Carson and the Super Collies. What an amazing, amazing thing. You can get Sarah's book. It's called Super Dog Tricks. And if you want to download her new dog training app, Pupper, just go to Huckabee.tv. We're going to fetch that link for you. We are. Now, in two weeks, my own wonderful puppies, Gumbo and Bandit, are going to be guests on this show. And boy, do I wish I could get Sarah Carson to teach them some stuff, because they can't do nothing. But they are cute. Right now, Keith, why don't you sit up and speak and tell us what's next? Well, give me a Scooby snack and I might. My talks to Congresswoman Nancy Mace next on Huckabee. Welcome back and Merry Christmas, everybody. This week, Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina, she made some major news in a House Oversight Committee that held hearings on violent online rhetoric and whether or not it is a threat to democracy. I want you to watch what may be one of the greatest moments I've ever seen in an oversight hearing involving Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Watch. I have a question, is it yes or no? Do you believe your rhetoric is a threat to democracy when you're calling to accost a branch of government, the Supreme Court? I don't believe that's a correct uh, characterization of my statements. Did you not tweet that? It was absolutely brilliant. There's a whole bunch of it. I urge you, Google this and watch the whole thing. It was masterful. And that's likely just a preview of things to come in January when the new Congress begins. Please welcome to the show from the 1st District of South Carolina, Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Thank you. Great having you here. Thank you. Thank you. I love your courage, your boldness, but the clarity with which you just, I mean, brought their own words to them. They walked right into the trap. <laughs> they really I did. I don't know how you show up to Congress, you know, saying that you're speaking out against hate speech, speaking out against violent rhetoric, and then you come to Congress and we show you all of your hate speech and all your violent rhetoric that you use online. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. It's you crazy. put it right up there in their face, their own tweets yep. on this big poster board. Right. And you read their own words to them. Verbatim. And said, Verbatim. Yeah. 
Could you see in their faces their panic? You could see the jaws drop in the room. I mean, literally, I need context. What context do you need? I'm yeah. literally reading your words in black and white. It's I blew it up on a poster board so everybody could see it, and they needed context, and I was mischaracterizing their words. I'm like, no, you literally tweeted this. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it stays on the Internet forever, guys. You know, I think one of the things that makes this pretty poignant is that this is not abstract. You've had threats against mm -hmm. you because of this kind of nonsense. Yeah. For these people to put this nasty stuff out, yeah. uh, inciting violence, saying that you should never be able to go out in public. I mean, that's what they were saying. Yeah. As yeah. a result of that, I heard you say you have to carry a firearm everywhere you go. I do. I carry either my Sig Sauer P365 or my Ruger LCP2. I have seven firearms, <laughs> but... Uh, Good for you. Those are two of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, those are two of my favorite to carry, but I do because of the threats that, that I get. And I've, I've had my car keyed. I had my house spray painted uh, two summers ago. And then last summer, at the end of summer in August, someone trespassed into my home for the second time. Inside your yes, house? Yes, into my home uh, for the second time in a year. Were they and arrested? No, they would just, no, they, they were not arrested. Um, all the evidence was there, but I was in the process of moving out. And so, you know, it just wasn't really worth it. I know, you know, I've been doxxed by my local media. I've been doxxed on social media. And the divisive rhetoric, I see it on both sides, the far right and the far left, it kind of has that. But when you get these threats, I live looking over my shoulder. And yeah. I'm a single mom. I have two teenagers. And they have fear, too, sometimes. And so that's, that's why I carry. I mean, a lot of members of Congress, they can afford private security. I am my private security. Yeah. I am. I protect myself and my family. Which is exactly why all of us need to have the Second Amendment and yeah. respect the reason that we have it to protect ourselves and our yeah, families. Absolutely. And I love your personal story. Yeah. I think it's one of the greatest in all of Congress. You dropped out of high school. Yeah. Your mom said, okay, fine. You're going to drop out. You're going to go to work. You went to work at my favorite place, <laughs> my happy place. You worked at Waffle House. Yeah, had I, had I, I love me some Waffle House. <laughs> had I known that, I would have worn Waffle House yellow tonight. Had <laughs> I known that, it is my, it is. It's, I got my start there. I dropped yeah. out of school at seventeen, and my parents said, "My dad's a retired Army general, and my mom's a retired school teacher." And they said, "If you're going to stop going to school, well, then you got to start going to work." And I learned some very tough lessons during some tough times. I did learn how to smother cover in chunk hash <laughs> browns. Um, but, uh, you know, I used to stand on a piece of duct tape in the uniform with the apron and the hair bonnet and yell to the cooks in the back how my customers wanted their hash browns. And that's how it all started. But then you did something pretty remarkable. You yeah. became the first woman to graduate from what had been the all-male Citadel. Yeah. And you didn't just graduate, but you graduated magna cum laude. I think that's a pretty yeah. big yeah. deal. Yeah. So you go from high school dropout, Waffle House server, to becoming a member of Congress along the way. We say Waffle House to the U.S. House. I That's love that. <laughs> That's how that works. You may have been better off if you'd have stayed at <laughs> Waffle House, you know. It's a, it's a little crazy right now up there. But yours is a great American story of mm -hmm. people overcoming challenges. Did you think when you were serving those hash browns at Waffle House that one day you'd say, by golly, I'm going to be a member of Congress? Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I'd be a member of Congress. Why um, did you want to be? Well, I, I've seen, I was in business for a while when I graduated from college. I'm a single working mom. I've got two teenage kids. And I see what's going on. Yeah. And I wanted to bring that personal, that business mindset to Congress. I wanted to run, you know, the government like a business rather than a bureaucracy, change things, right? Be that that change, sort of change agent. 
Um, it's a mess right now. And yeah. the federal government, state and local too, they get away with things that you and I in private business could never get away from. There's no accountability. And we have these hearings and the hearing was great. I love calling out hypocrites, okay? Yeah. That was awesome. But where's the accountability? What happens when they leave the hearings? There's usually never any accountability. And I want to see that, especially when Republicans are in the majority next year. There's new management in town, right? We need to hold people accountable, hold their feet to the fire. We need you to be a chairman of yeah. one of the big committees. Yeah. And to do the magic that you did in that committee, we need you to do that at Congress when they get back in power. Because I think a lot of people have high hopes that this Republican class will not be like the ones in the, in the past. I hope and pray. I hope and pray. We all do. Yeah. It's going to be a mess if, if there's not some real action. Yeah. How confident are you that we're going to see some things take place that will hold people's feet to the fire? I think you will. And, and being on oversight, I'll have a gavel on the oversight committee with Jamie Comer and what Jim Jordan's going to do on judiciary, the investigations that we're going to have. They're going to be substantive. It's not yeah. going to be just for headlines. And even the majority leader, Kevin, uh, minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, he's talked about the spending issues that we have right now and trying to get that under control. And I know I've made a promise that I'm not voting for a budget or a spending bill or a continuing resolution or an omnibus if you're not going to cut government spending. If you're not going to balance the budget, I'm not voting Good for, for it. Good for you. I mean, that that's what we have to do. Yes. And as Republicans, is be the standard bearer. And that should be the standard. The government literally shut businesses down in the middle of COVID. They had to make tough decisions. They had to fire employees. Um, they had to cut spending. And yet the federal government kept collecting record revenue year over year. And they just kept on spending money we don't have. And that's been a Republican problem and a Democrat problem. I don't blame the other side. We are, we're our side's at fault too. They're responsible for raising taxes. They've been responsible for deficit spending, and we're going to stop that. That is great news, and we're going to be uh, keeping an eye. Please come back, because I love having you. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time. I, I find your story inspirational Thank and, uh, frankly, reaffirming that America is a great place for opportunity when people work hard, and yeah. you are living proof of it. What an honor to have you here. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and God bless you. Thank God you. Bless God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. Now, I think our audience is going to want to keep up with Nancy Mace online. You can do that. All you got to do is head over to Huckabee.tv. We have all the links to the Congresswoman. Keith, I bet you have some links to what's coming up on the show next. Well, why cry over the news when you can laugh about it? On In Case You Missed It, that's coming up next on Huckabee. TV and get your very own Made in the USA mugs, t-shirts, and more. All right, from manure malfeasance to fishy smelling lawsuits, we've got the stories that'll have you holding your breath, or maybe just your nose, on our version of In Case You Missed It. If you are looking for a job, New York City is advertising for a rat czar. Yes, you heard Whoa. me right. Rat czar. Sounds important. Uh, hey, this is a big title. What's that? Because the actual title is Director of Rat Migration. By the way, it pays up to $170,000 a year. Wow. To be a rat czar. Yeah, to be a rat 
czar. If, if I'm not back here next week, I've taken that job. <laughs> By the way, according to the job description, New York has a relentless rat population that is cunning, voracious, and prolific, and legendary for their survival skills. Yeah. Which, by the way, everyone needs survival skills in New York City these days, even the rats. <laughs> Applicants must have, get this language, this is from the application. They must have a virulent vehemence for vermin. They must have drive, determination, and killer instinct, and be a little bloodthirsty. Sounds like a job for Snake Pliskin, I think so. <laughs> anyway, for some reason, they require a bachelor's degree to be a rat catcher. Huh? Bachelor's. Finally, a job you can get with a gender studies degree. Okay? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but don't, but wow. don't think it's going to be easy. It's estimated that New York City has twice as many rats as they have people. There are so many rats that New York Democrats want to give them voting rights. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I knew yep. that was coming. That was coming. All right, Keith, speaking of smelling a rat... Police in Belgium raided manure processing plants. I got that right. In what they call a major case of international manure management fraud. Did Glad you know there you had was to say that and not me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So far, so good. Seventeen people are suspected of colluding to hide evidence that farms were using more manure than they're supposed to under government regulations. Oh, no. Who knew that there was a limit on how much manure you could use? That's news I, I to me. You know, the country. You think, don't they have a manure czar to deal with this? <laughs> Luckily. There's a job for you. That's it. Right? That's I'm, the I'm job. I'm pass. I'm good. You know why that couldn't happen here? I want to tell you. Because our politicians would never limit the amount of manure <laughs> that they're allowed to spread. Yeah. Uh, ever. <laughs> never. <laughs> It's true. Next, a Hialeah, Florida woman filed a $5 million class action suit against Heinz Kraft Foods. You want to know why? I'd love to know why. Because she claims their microwave mac and cheese, which says ready in three and a half minutes on the label, takes longer if you count removing the lid, <laughs> adding the water in the sauce, and stirring it. And because of what she says is false and misleading claim, she says she paid more than she would have. Her lawsuit would suggest that she's paid $5 million what? more. To... Now, that is how you know you eat too much mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and she actually got legal representation. That's what's crazy. Some yeah. lawyer represented her. However, Kraft's attorneys declared this lawsuit to be cheesy. <laughs> I knew it was coming. And by the way, they it. expect it to be dismissed in less than three and a half minutes. They do. <laughs> Here's my question. Is she suing Kraft for wasting, what, 30 seconds of yeah, her time? exactly. How much of everyone's time is she wasting with this stupid exactly. lawsuit? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> if she wanted to Whoa. sue somebody, she should sue Heinz over their ketchup, because you know how long that takes to come out oh, of the bottle. Yeah. That's true. Shake, shake, shake. Very true. Finally... It is Christmas time, and lots of people love to dress their pets in festive holiday costumes and take their pictures. Sure. But Cheeseburger.com, which collects photos from around the Internet, warns that not all pets are really down with this. For instance, this cat doesn't seem too happy about it. Nope. But I think he's happier than this dog. 
who's positively oh. giddy compared to this cat right here. Ooh, that looks like she'd claw your eyes oh, out, huh? Yeah, that's weird. By the way, this family thought dressing up the dog would make for a heartwarming Christmas card photo. However, the dog thought otherwise. <laughs> Looked like he's ready to bite someone. I know. But at least he's not plotting to kill his owners in their sleep like this dog oh, is. Oh, yeah. Scary-looking dog. I mean, I say this. If the family hears someone creeping up the stairs on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve it ain't Santa, okay? <laughs> that dog. Well, before people turn the dogs loose on us, I'm going to end this bit. But until next time, Good. always remember, we read the news. Well, up next, country pop harmony group Rockland Road talks to Mike and performs right here on Huckabee. Christmas time on Huckabee with mesmerizing sand artist Joe Castilla and Tennessee Christmas performed by the Katinas. Don't miss a very Huckabee Christmas next weekend. Welcome back. My next guests are a great family harmony group. Dad was in the country supergroup Exile. Mom is the daughter of an Oak Ridge boy, and her mom is one of the most celebrated backup singers in the national recording business. Now, with that kind of talent in their blood, it is no wonder that they've performed everywhere from the Grand Ole Opry to the White House. Please welcome back for their third appearance on the show, Rockland Road. <laughs> great having you guys back. Great to be here. You have had some amazing experiences traveling all over. Uh, Kel, recently, you guys have been to Dollywood. You're going back for a lot of Christmas shows. That's right. How cool is that? It's, it's amazing. We are doing some sort of a residency there. We just got back, and we're going back on the 20th and 21st, and then... The 28th, so it's like a post-Christmas hoot nanny of sorts. So, <laughs> haven't heard that word before, but uh. Texas, I'm always blown away by the multi-talent of your siblings. Oh, thank you. I kind of expected of your parents, but you guys, you play all the instruments, mm -hmm. amazing harmonies. Did you have a choice when you were a kid? Well, you know, they kind of just pulled us together and were like, you're going to do music. No, just kidding. I'm jo totally joking. Um, no, they, no, we totally, um, we always have just loved music. It's such, it's, it's so inspiring. We always talk about how music has such a universal language. Like, yeah. everybody speaks it. And, and it's just so, you know, growing up, they always sang together. They always, my dad would pull out an acoustic guitar and just sing in our living room. And it was just so much fun to just sit down in the living room and sing songs, random songs. And um, we really, really, all four of us kids just enjoy it so much. And it's it's really so much fun. So. You look like you're having fun. And I'll tell you, <laughs> whenever you're here, we have so much fun. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> having of you course. here. Absolutely. It is amazing. And yeah. so Keith Bilbrey is going to uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on. The family's going to get ready to perform. Keith, it's your job right now to tell the viewers how they can hear more of Rockland Road because I absolutely know they're going to want to after they hear them. Well, to find Rockland Road's music, tour dates, social media, links, and more, just go to Huckabee.tv for all the links. Now, performing Little St. Nick with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and Mike on bass, here's Rockland Road. Rockland Road. 